We're thrilled to introduce our new sponsor, Vanguard Comics, who on Sunday, April 14th, will be hosting Gosport Comic Con, which I will be attending alongside Sunhill Royalty, Larry Dan, who of course played Sergeant Alec Peters, the gorgeous Raji James, and the original wooden top himself, the mighty Mark Wingett. We'll be doing signings and selfies alongside a number of Doctor Who stars, including Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant and Sophie Aldred. Find out more and grab your tickets while you can from vanguardcomics.co.uk. You are listening to The Bill Podcast with me, Natalie Rolls. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk, cityfiction.co.uk, and vanguardcomics.co.uk. Welcome back and thank you for joining us for this second part of my Bill podcast interview with the gorgeous Pal Aaron. This time, Pal shares memories of growing up in Birmingham, discovering acting, his impressive work in the theatre and joining the BBC's flagship drama series, Casualty. We also begin to talk about Pal's time as DC Brandon Kane in The Bill and discuss that Kathy Bradford storyline. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Right, I'm going to go back. Where did you grow up? Birmingham, born and raised. Which football team? Do you know what? I never, never followed football. But if I had to, it would be Villa. Oh, hey! I'm so glad you said that. I was born about a 15-minute walk from the Villa ground. And so when, back in the day, when I was about 10 years old, whatever, when the bands used to come play there at Villa Park, we all used to go into the park, climb on the Bowling Green Shed, and it was a perfect view of the stage. I remember seeing... Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band from there. Amazing. Clear enough to see their faces. That is so... Because I've been to that stand. You know, I've been yeah. to that park with my boy. He's an absolute... His dad was a Brummie boy. So, yeah, yeah he, he he's true Birmingham. Is he? Claret and blue. Oh, he's obsessed. So what was it like growing up in the 70s? Well... Through the 70s as a period was a funny period, wasn't it? And we were actually very protected from that. The 70s was the rise of the National Front in a lot of cities. And Birmingham was the second city, second biggest city. And I do remember the effects of the National Front. I remember riots going on. And so I grew up in a kind of undercurrent of this is out there. So just be careful when you're out and about. With your mates, just be careful that there is this undercurrent out there. But do go out 
go out and about with your mates, just be aware of it. So actually, I, I love Birmingham. I've got a soft spot for it in my heart. It's the, it's the city that nourished me, taught me, gave me my first steps as an actor and Bill Alexander at the Rep. So I went off to drama school to Bristol and went back to Birmingham because I, I never left Birmingham, but I was at drama school in Bristol. So I was away as a student, but family home was still brown. And I absolutely wanted to work with Bill at the Birmingham Rep because the Birmingham Rep was such an important, informative part of my life before I knew I was going to be an actor. So Birmingham is a culturally rich city. It is a true melting pot with different cultures as a city because everyone lives together as opposed to ghettos, which a lot of cities have, and they call themselves a cultural mix, but they're not. Everyone has their own areas that they occupy. And Birmingham has started to have those, which is a shame, but that's starting to happen. But in the 70s, it was a melting pot. And people were mixing of all different cultures and faiths, and that's what I grew up in. I don't know any different. So when I go somewhere where there is a stark difference, I kind of think, and I mean, either in this country or abroad, I kind of think, oh, this is backward. I'm not used to this. I grew up in a proper melting pot. Let's have some of that again, please, you know. So it was a massive education, Birmingham. I can't think of a better city to be educated in as a young lad, you know. So it was lovely. Your youth theatre, is that how you got involved in that through that time? Yes, it was, and, and fairly late, actually. I, I never went to youth theatre. I did not want it to be an actor until I was about... 17 or 18, which is young to me, but a lot of actors knew they wanted to be actors way before then and went to youth theatres, and I didn't. I, I joined an amateur theatre company, a big difference between amateur theatre companies, you know. This was not the kind of amateur theatre company that did musicals and Christmas shows. It didn't do those. And the main reason it didn't do that is the guy who ran it was a designer. He was a theatre designer. That's what his degree was in. And he was a Polish guy. Polish English. So we were introduced to a lot of Brecht, Artaud, and over here, Edward Bond, and you know. So we did those kind of plays. We did A Clockwork Orange before the RSC did it as the first professional theatre to do it. We did it about a year before when Anthony Burgess first wrote a stage play. So he wanted us to do avant-garde kind of stuff. And he wanted to make sure that everybody had a background in costume, set building, set painting, and then you got to act. So he, he instilled in us a love of the craft, and not just the craft that you're doing, other people's craft. And so he was massively informative. But then he, he and he's the one who said to me, you need to leave now. You need to go to drama school. I can't do any more with you and the people you joined with. Is this where you learned to do your directing and devising plays yes that was yes so you were 17 17 going on 18 yeah so he gave you basically that confidence to continue and give you enough interest in it to want to go absolutely to the bristol right. old vic absolutely right and actually what he did was he we would be doing one act play festivals in malvern and buxton and all these summer festival houses you know and he said to me he said i want you to come up with a street theater show it can't be any more than half an hour long it's got to involve all of you in it, all the actors in it who are going on tour, which is a small group. There's only about six of us. And we did. We devised the show. you know. And then he said to us, after he'd looked at it and tweaked it and did all this thing and designed it, because he's a designer, 
He, and then he said to us, you're going to go out on tour now. If you want money to spend on beer, you need to do more street theater shows. He said, if you do five shows a day, you'll have enough money to go out to the pub for a couple of beers and go and eat something fancy instead of all the groceries I'm going to send you with, you know. And we used to go to the supermarket once a week and top up and everyone does their cooking, you know. Uh, and so he forced us into street theater that way and said, you know, if you want to do it, you do more shows, you'll make some money. If you're not spending money, do more shows. So he kind of learned that way. And it was fantastic. I can't think of a better training, actually. And then drama school came after. Birmingham to Bristol. What was that like living in Bristol after Birmingham? Living there was fine. It, it was great. First time away from home, home for many people. For me, first time away from home. Although with the theatre company, I'd been on tour for weeks. But that's not the point. The point is, you know, that's still home is Birmingham. But when I started drama school, that was me stepping out on my own. And, and it was fantastic. I loved it. I had no problem with that part of it. I had a big problem with my first year at drama school because I was suddenly back in a classroom. But I had just spent two and a half years being in charge of five or six people going out on the road. And so it felt like a step backward. So it took me a, a year to acclimatize to drama school. A year out of three years. That's a third of the course where I was just trying to settle. And adjust. And not with being away from home. That was fun. That was great. <laughs> it was I'm back in school now, mm -hmm. and that's weird for me. You'd already grown, and you probably felt <clears throat> stunted having to repeat stuff in a sense. Yeah, and I needed it. I needed to go to drama school. I needed that knowledge and that training. I just I was having was coming to terms with being an adult, and I suddenly felt like a school kid again. So that jarred with me. Yeah, but once you'd left there, that was how you met Bill Alexander. That was the Shakespeare road. Yes, that's right. While I was in my final year, 93, I think Bill took over the rep then. So when I was back at home for holidays, you know, summer holidays, go back home, and I used to go and watch plays at the rep. I have to say, before I went to drama school and while I was still with the amateur theatre company, I also got a job at the Birmingham rep to run their youth theatre, one of four people who directed shows for their youth theatre. And then they took me on to be an assistant director of a main house show at the Rep, in the main house doing Willie Russell's Our Day Out. You were Willie so Russell's young. Yeah. I mean, I was directing people who were older than me. I was 18, and that was open to 16 to 30-year-olds. To and most of the people in my group that I had to direct were, the youngest was 26. Incredible. And I was 18, and I, I didn't think anything of it. To me, it was completely natural, and you'd just get on with it. And so I had links at the Birmingham Repertory Theatre. So I never used to pay for tickets, because I had mates there. And they'd say, oh, pal, I'm not going to use my tickets. And I'd always get two and take a friend that would go to the theatre and watch. And that's when I first saw Bill's work, and I thought, I want to work with this guy. <sighs> he tells epic stories on a stage. And you know the rep is a massive stage. But here's a director who knew how to fill that stage. And he didn't throw everything at it. Sometimes it was a bare stage. But he knew how to fill it with acting, with stuff, with fear, good stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought, i got to work with this guy. I'm going to, I just, I'd really like to work with him. So you did? Didn't know I would. Yeah, and I did. And that was lovely. And so, and then actually I ended up working with him about seven times. It was oh, lovely. Oh, wow. I had a very near miss. I auditioned for him. I was at the Barbican, yeah. the RSC, yeah. 
And that meeting came up and he offered me a two-year stint at Birmingham Rep. Oh, fantastic, Matt. No. What was so stupid was I was 20, 23 and Clockwork Orange at the RSC was taken to the West End. Did you do that? And I was going, what do I do? I love yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. I love London. I'm. I, I want to yeah, be yeah. in London. At that, in my head, at that point, the twenty-three-year-old yeah. me just wanted yeah. to be in London. And I bloody said no to Billy Alexander. And I often think, what if I had? What would my journey have been? Yeah. Well, he would have employed you again and again. <laughs> I'm he's so really, depressed. He's really loyal. He's really loyal to actors. Oh, maybe I should get in touch with him. I was very, uh, anyone now like you, I, I can feel your love for that whole process. Is that yeah. one of the stages? Like if, if you could perform again on any stage in the world, yeah. where would you yeah. want to be? On any stage in the world. Well, there are two stages. The first one is the Birmingham Rep for many reasons. You know, I grew up there, really. Mm-hmm. Also, the eyeline of that stage is brilliant. The only other eyeline like it is the Olivia at the National. They're both very similar stages and they both have a very similar setting in that you stand on the stage and you look out and there's a bowl. It's like you're inside a bowl. And so your natural eyeline is almost the back of the audience. Mm. So you don't have to do too much. Mm-hmm. It's a really user-friendly space. And it's because I'd worked at the rep that I had absolutely no nervousness or settling in period on the Olivier, because I'd kind of got, I was already used to that space. What was the show there? At the Olivier, mm. first time I'd worked there was with one of Bill's shows that transferred to the Olivier. He'd produced a show at the Birmingham Rep. He'd done The Alchemist with Simon Callow and Tim Pickett-Smith and Josie Lawrence. And we knew that was transferring to the Olivier anyway. So we went with it, and that was my first time at the Olivier. And that's when... Bill was working the show into the Olivier, and Bill said to me then, he said, Pal, you've had so much experience working on the rep, which is why you know exactly where to be in this space. And he said, which saves a lot of time for me and a lot of redirection for me. And so he's the one who told me that. And then I went back a few years ago when Rufus Morris was the artistic director at the National. He still is, isn't he? And we did Behind the Beautiful Forevers which is a play adapted by David Hare based on a New York Times article about a particular slum in Mumbai. There are several slums in Mumbai. There are two or three big slums that are many villages. And this play was about one of those real people in real... I mean, it was a factual story. It was a factual article in the New York Times. And David Hare and Rufus went over to Mumbai and did their research, wrote these characters into the play, came back and we we did the play. And they showed it, they they showed it live in Mumbai and NT Live. Oh wow. And the people in the slum. They set up screens so the people in the slum came to see themselves on screen. Incredible. What? And they sent us a message. It was mad. Yeah, it was lovely. Oh. It was lovely. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, well. Matt, you'd be great in theatre, wouldn't you? I can imagine you being good in theatre. I think I was. I can imagine you being very relaxed on stage. I think it goes back to movement, and I know you're a fan of Alexandra Technique, all of those things that you... Yeah, you acquire through work. Movement yes. is is all part of it. Like, I was watching the, the actors 
the opera last night and the rake on the stage was oh, so deep. Crazy. It was nuts. And the, the son, well, it was the brother, he was stomping around and he had his little shoes on and he was clonking on this rake, making <laughs> such a noise and singing and yeah. doing the whole, you know, it was so brilliant. I don't know how they cope with that rake. But the the perspective of the stage went right back to a square at the back and it was like yes. a tunnel. So oh, there were wow. very simple scene changes. There was, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I love the theatre. I don't yeah. see enough of it. We can't afford it. You know, it's one of those. Yeah. You know, I'd love to yeah. see more theatre. We've just had Brighton Festival here, so there was a, a few things to see there. Music, theatre, ah, yeah. love it. And I would love, I think the last theatre thing I did was when my son was, it was before he was born and it was meant to go on to, you know, into the West End. It was out in Basingstoke. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I had a great time. Three months. Maybe that will all come back. But you know... Well, once... I just love theatre because it's the only medium where we have some say. Really. We're not at the mercy of an editor. Yes. We're not at the mercy of you've shot the scene, but we might alter it when we're back into the editing. Yes. When you're filming, so many other people are responsible for what ends up on the screen, whereas theatre is alive and we are responsible for what we do on stage. And so, therefore, we love that responsibility. And actors love responsibility. I don't buy it when people say actors are some of the most irresponsible people around. We're not, actually. We're incredibly responsible. We're responsible for the storytelling and the entertainment of a thousand people a night. And they've saved up for that theatre ticket. And there's a responsibility to deliver and make sure they get a good show. Actors are incredibly responsible people, I think. I think too. Talk us through getting the role Casualty, because this was before Bill, because we are we will be getting to the Bill. But I know this was yeah. a huge coming from theatre into a regular role. Yeah. And obviously it was back in Bristol. Yes, it was, yeah. That was lovely. Casualty, that was a great gig. I really enjoyed that. I loved most of the jobs I've done. You know, and, and like the Bill, I had enough of Casualty when I left. I knew that it was time for me to leave, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing happened on the bill. I had a great time, but I knew that I needed to leave now. And so that's why I'm only ever left in good memories of the shows I've been on. Genuinely, I, I just have good memories of them. You leave for different reasons. You leave because you want that variety back in your life. And as you know, being on a long-running TV show doesn't offer you an awful amount of variety. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's got to have their storyline. And while somebody's got theirs, you're waiting and doing little bits and an episode, a little bit more and another. And then you get a storyline. And I kind of didn't want to wait anymore. I kind of thought, let's move on now and do other things. Casualty, I can't even remember when I started that. I think it was 99, something like that, 98, 99. Well, you had three Um, years there. I had three years there. And there's Derek Thompson's just announced he's leaving the role after playing Charlie for 37 years. Wow. Can you understand playing a role that long? Do you know, I asked him once when we were filming, I said to him, yeah, I said, Derek, I said, you've been in the show for a long time. I said, what's the appeal, man, of just staying and uh, staying on a show like that? Do you know what? He said, when I'm starting out as a young actor, you meet all these people, drama school, all this, and you dissipate, and then you might come back, you might not. He said, on this show, every one of them has come on and done a bit on this show. He said, I've had a reunion every year with somebody I really liked and haven't seen for ages while I'm at work. He said, plus, I, he believes in the show. He thinks, and it is the BBC's flagship drama. 
You know, and it certainly was that. And he said, I get a chance to work on all these people, new people every year, and my mates keep coming back and we're working. And he said, and, and, and he loved it for that. So he stayed in it for that, for that reason. Yeah, he's joyful. And I thought that's absolutely right. Fantastic. Yeah. Have you bumped into any of Casualty crew? Were they on the yeah. bill? Yes, I did. There was directors and crew, always a crossover. And that's lovely. You could say, hey, I know you from Bristol, and now we're in South Wimbledon. Hey, that's nice. And we kind of, you work together again, and it's lovely. And actually since then, and people that you've met on Casualty the Bill, and now they're working on Stella, or, you know, you always see the same people again. Wonderful. And I like that about this industry. Yeah. And also socially, I've met them. I've bumped into them socially. There's a lot of filming work that goes on in Cardiff, a lot. And a lot of the people from Bristol came on to Cardiff when, when Casualty moved. And I see them in pubs. You know, I'm popping out with my missus around the corner for a drink or something. And you, you'll see the boom operator that you worked with Casualty. <laughs> and on the bell, you're like, hey, man, how are you doing? You're right. You have a little chin uh, back. It's lovely. Though. It's, it it's becomes really nice. a real little community, you know. Absolutely. Do you remember getting your bill opportunity when they offered you the role of Brandon Kane? I do remember. And I, and I like Paul Marquez. Every new boss that comes on, it has to make changes. They're going to make changes. Agreed. And for a while, he was called the Axe Man in <laughs> corridors <laughs> of the studio. The Axe Man cover. <laughs> but I liked him, you know. I mean, if he hadn't been an Axe Man, I wouldn't have got an opportunity to be on the bill, frankly, you know. But I, I really liked Paul, and I found him a fair guy, actually. I thought he was fair. And when I said I wanted to leave, here's the funny thing, Matt, right? Mm-hmm. When I said to Casualty, I'm, I'm ready to leave now, and we'd sorted all that out and how it was going to happen, I got a phone call from Bill Alexander, and he said, Pal, what are you up to? I said, oh, well, funny you mentioned that. I've just given in my notice to, to Casualty. I said, I'm, I'm leaving in six months. And he said, six months, and he went, uh, hold on, let me think. January, February. Yeah, that could work. He said, listen, do you want to play uh, Laertes for me in Hamlet and Orsino in Twelfth Night? I said, I'd love to. He said, we start when you finish. <gasps> I said, that'd be wicked. Oh. When I was leaving the bill, Bill phoned me up. How are you up to at the moment? And I said, funny you mentioned that, Bill. I just handed in my notice on the bill. I leave in six months. And he said, will you come to the RSC with me? I'd like you to play Edgar in King Lear. And I said, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. He said, don't get too excited. The other directors have to want you as well in their plays. And so we met and they offered. But now, when I went to Paul Marquez, Paul Marquez said to me, he said, pal, listen, I want to keep this open, you know, in case you want to come back. I said, but Paul, I've just been offered a job at the RSC that I really want to do. He said, I'll keep it open. I said, you can't, man. That's a year and a half. He said, oh, I can't keep it open for that long. (laughs) And I said, I'm not expecting you to, but thank Uh, you so much uh, for offering to keep the door open. Thank you, but I'm happy to go and do that now. So he was always really sweet, I thought. What was your experience at all? He was genuine with me as well. He he understood that after four and a bit years, I was tired. And I actually, I could have said, can I have a six months out and go and have a lovely holiday and rejuvenate? But I was ready, like you, you just know. Yes, you do know. The character was having lots of twists and turns, and I was so, so grateful. But also, yeah. it was. You had some great stories, actually. No. 
I did have, and I loved watching, just doing some research with you and I. I loved the episode that Oliver sent. Wasn't that funny watching that? Oh, my goodness. You had McAllister in two lines. You knew exactly who she was. <laughs> Brownie do you know point. Do you know what, Now I don't know if you remember this, but I remember saying this to you when we were working together. And we, you and I didn't get a chance to work together very no. much. And I said it to you, and I also said it to Rene Zaga. And I said to both of you, you may not remember this, if I work with an actor I like, I always tell them that I think they're great. And I, and I tell them why I think they're great, you know. But I remember saying to you, now nah, I think you're brilliant, you know. I think you're a wicked actor. I think you're brilliant in this. I'd really like to do more with you. And I said the same to Rene. I said to Rene, I said, Rene, you're wicked, man. Aww. I love watching you on screen. Oh, I'd love to. Do, and I never got to do anything with Rene. And I only ever got little bits to do with you. And I would have really liked to have done more actually oh. and i tell you something else when i was watching that episode that all of a sudden your performance is timeless it hasn't dated you could do exactly the same now in a show as you did back then and it's still real it's still truthful it's still honest and i think the bill stands up in that regard i think there's a lot of actors here who you could put those actors in that same performance into a show now 20 years later and they haven't dated they're still good performances and you are definitely one of them. Absolutely. Rene was another one. We had some good actors on that show. I think it was like a, a mini rep. It was yeah. our it was the South Wimbledon rep because yeah. we all had we all brought something different. It was our little theatre company in a sense. And as you say it like that, if you took that scene and you put it into a, a hospital drama or if it was, you know, in anything, if you put if you yeah. put it somewhere else rebrand yeah. it well you're a wicked screen actor that's why oh. and there's a strength and a stillness about you that oh. is timeless oh oh I you know feel... and you could Thank still you. look at that performance now like i did yesterday and think that stands up now that, that performance easily and as i say Rene was another one there was a few you know on the bill like, yeah man wicked actors who was your dressing room buddy well i was lucky to have a dressing room to myself for a long time and then it was scott maslin Oh, <laughs> yeah. Scott. And it's great because actually Scott's one of those actors who I didn't have a lot to do with in the show, mm -hmm. which meant when I was in my dressing room, Scott wasn't. So when Scott was in our dressing room, I wasn't. So we both kind of felt we had our own dressing room. It was. We were just aware there is someone else who shares this, you know. Yeah. But we hardly, we were never on each other's toes, let's put it that way. So that was, that was good and healthy. Did you do the training for the police? I know lots of people had a little bit of time. Yeah, I went out on a drive around or something. Drive around. I think I went on two, and one was a bit more showy offy than the other. If you know what oh, I mean. okay. Oh, really? He was put the foot down. I was like, woohoo! Oh no! Were they trying to impress you? <laughs> he was. I think they probably were, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. So where did you go for that? Do you know what? We just went round Wimbledon. They arranged it with Wimbledon Police Station. And there's me thinking, well, listen, it's in Wimbledon. I'm not going to see much. I'm sure it'll all be maybe somebody's cat got stuck in a tree, that kind of thing. Yeah. Was I wrong? My God. And there was, yeah, on a couple of occasions, I said, how will you stay here? You can't come out on this one. Oh. Because they've got reports of an armed person and they had to come and deal with this. And then they came back and they said, yeah, it was all right. It was all right. I said, was he armed? Yeah, he was armed. But it wasn't anything lethal. We just can't have you there. You know, there, there are you can come in on some things, but not on others. So they were, um, yeah, it was good. It was an eye opener. Did you have I to wear a stab vest? Yeah, yes, I did have to wear a stab vest. I remember yeah, that I bit. Did. 
I was never put into that kind of situation because they looked after you. So when they say to you, you need to stay in the car for this one, I'm going to stay in the car. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm happy. I'm not getting out. Thanks. I'll watch from here. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch from here. I've got my little camping stove. I'll cook us a nice meal. So when you come back, there'll be something hot for you to eat, officers. They'll tell me, do you like garlic? Yeah, you like garlic. Yeah, great, great. Garlic and then we'll Brilliant. Um, so, yes, so we did that, yeah. Okay, so when your Brandon character was born, did they speak to you? Did Paul speak to you about the Kathy Bradford arc? Was there any mention of that? No. Can you remember no. what they said about Brandon and his character? I could tell you how they said no to me. <laughs> you, do you remember Paul set up this thing, which was ingenious, actually? He said, you're going to play characters, these police officers. He did tell me I was... Um, a trainee detective is how I was going to start. And then he becomes detective proper. He said, that is going to happen, but you come in as a trainee. So you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to get hauled up because you're learning. I said, great. Gives me somewhere to go. And he said, to so come in with ideas. My idea was, I said, Paul, I've got an idea. He said, what is it? I said, so I'm going to be playing clothes, right? He said, oh, yeah, you're playing clothes. I said, I would love my character to be that copper in Hill Street Blues, who was always scruffy and smelly and got mistaken for a tramp on many occasions in the story by the other characters <laughs> until somebody said, no, he's a detective. He works here. He needs a shower, but he's a detective. And I said, I want to be that guy. Always stenchy, smelly, scruffy, horribly dirty, because that's his disguise. And he said, no. Any other ideas? I said, why not? I said, we haven't seen that on a British drama. And we certainly haven't seen an Indian actor play someone like that. So I said, don't let's go down the clean, neat route, please. And he said, let's try and reach a compromise. He'll be very casually dressed. I said, oh, it's not really much of a compromise, Paul, but you're all right. So he said, no, we can't have you like that. We just can't have you that dirty and scruffy. And But that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be that guy. Do you know where my head's going now? Ken. His character was a bit like that, unkempt, always eating, scruffy. Yes, he was. Do you remember? I reckon he with stole that With the Hawaiian shirts with stains on them. He stole and that idea. Say, oh, they probably did, didn't they? Yeah. Because I remember saying to him, he's always got food in his mouth, always got, he's got food in his beard. He's just really scruffy. And, that was And Ken's I would have character. liked to have done that. Yeah. They did it with Ken, didn't they? That's right. Yes. He obviously had other plans for you with the Kathy Bradford insane in the membrane girl. Oh, yes. my goodness. Because I'd not really seen any of that because we're working. You know, it was yeah. like... Yeah, I, exactly. So the yeah. boiler room the other night, I put it on with my headphones and I was just totally ensconced. It was yeah. theatre. You two in that boiler room. And I got actually a little bit annoyed when they kept cutting back to like Cyril and Trudy and Gina. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, because I, I knew they would be laughing on those scenes because they're, you know, they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, hurry up. We need to, you know, you could just see, you could, I could hear Cyril's like on the edge of laughter only because we know them. But, yes. oh my goodness, you're, it was theatre. It was, it was oh, Shakespeare. Oh, the boiler room, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Well, it was rehearsed like theatre, yeah. It was done like a, like a little theatre piece. Robbie Del Maestro directed that. Robbie Del Maestro directed my leading episodes on the bill 
and he directed my leaving episodes on Casualty. Oh, I love it. And I said to him, so I always work with you when I'm about to leave a show. <laughs> I said, now, whatever show I do next, if you rock up to direct me in that, and I don't know I'm leaving, that's one way of telling you. <laughs> You'll know. Well, by the way, you're out after this. Yeah, lovely director. And direct, rehearsed that boiler room thing like a fair play. And we would do long takes. So we did maybe three takes. That's all. But the scenes were long. And it was all the mechanics and the geography, the choreography of it, really. Yeah. And the lighting. I mean, the, you know, the, oh, it was yeah. so, so good. There's so many things I watch. You wore your wound. You were stabbed. You know, and you yeah. watch so many things and you go, they're just moving like normal in the neck. You know, you just like, yeah, yeah. you carried yeah. your wound. Phenomenal, phenomenal. It was such a good piece. There was a lot of pain in that. I mean, I mean physical pain. I'm sure. Because they're real handcuffs and they come in and they put the bruises on. And they remember makeup saying, oh, I can tell where I did your bruise last time, pal, because you've got a real bruise. <laughs> so they just had to touch over the real bruise with a bit of makeup. So that was real metal against struggle and, you know. Yeah, and I remember they put something on my scar. When they did the scar makeup, they put a lid of plastic or something in it. So whenever my stab vest or whatever I was wearing touched it, it would push me a bit. And so one became acutely aware of, oh, that's where the scar is. Ah. So one is reminded of it. And I think I asked them to do that. Yeah, you know, the it's, method. It's like, it's like whenever you're doing a tear scene, a crying scene, I always ask for a tear stick. Always. I don't want to spend time trying to summon up tears. <laughs> I want the tears to appear automatically. And I want to spend time trying to hold them back. Exactly, because anyone that cries knows they're trying to stop themselves crying. Exactly, yes. And you can tell actors on screen who are really trying to summon up a tear. <laughs> you can see it in their face like, come on, come on, I want some tears. It'll show I'm a good actor if I can cry. You kind of think, listen, in real life, tears come. So oh. just use something that makes them turn up, you know. Helpful. I don't mind any of that. Some people get really funny, oh, I don't, don't they? Like, oh, yeah. really? So the storyline didn't get resolved for eight months with the Kathy Bradford. Oh, God, that went on a bit, didn't it? They kept going back to it. The release of the CCTV tape. They were planning oh, the right. resolution that it's so far in advance. Do you think because they knew that they'd done the Kathy storyline that Brandon's story now was they didn't quite you know, what were they gonna do with you? Yes. I knew when I was on the bill in my second year that I was not going to get anything juicy to do unless I left. I knew that. Uh, and so that story came about when I told them I wanted to leave. Uh, it was not part of Brandon's plan from the beginning. The only plan that I'm aware of that they shared with me was, you start as a trainee and then you're going to CID. And then in my second year, when I knew that, okay, if I want to play as an actor, I need to leave this workplace and try and find another workplace. And when I told them that I, I want out, that's when I knew they were going to do a story. Because I remember a couple of the producers saying, well, then, pal, come over to... Do you remember they used to call it the flight deck where all the producers' offices were? Where they do that really nice, cheap coffee. Yes. 
Yes, that beautiful coffee that <laughs> that that coffee that I love with the flight deck. Because it's cheap and instant. Well, it's for me. But I, they said, come to the flight deck. We want to talk to you. And I said, all right, yeah. And they said, this is what we have planned for your leaving storyline. And that's when they revealed the Kathy storyline to me. Boom. And I thought, great. There's something to play now. Excellent. But yes, I mean, I did kind of find myself thinking, how dumb can Brandon carry on being? How blind can he carry on being? This is happening right in front of him and he still doesn't see it. Yeah. And so that kind of made me think, oh, come on, we could just let him know. Let him know. See where that goes. Yeah, irritating. I think I remember scenes. I remember seeing you and you were like, oh, for goodness sake, come on. I would know. I'm still searching here. Yes, exactly. And I kind of thought, oh, come on, let's just change it. Keep the story, but change direction because this is all feeling predictable. We hope you are enjoying this special podcast with Pal, who was an amazing guest and very generous with his time. In part three, we'll be talking a lot about the Bill, and I know you Bill fans will love his Sunhill memories. Until then, take good care of yourselves, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Bye.